Welcome to the Eternia Review. My name's Ben. And I'm Truman. And this week, we've got a special new, scary, different thing. In Masters of the Universe Revelation. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, Masters of the Universe, Revelation. Or Revelations. I don't actually remember if it's plural. Well, I guess there are multiple Revelations in this episode. There are quite a few. This is, uh, dear listener, the Kevin Smith Mattel second wave He-Man vehicle to sell toys or Netflix subscriptions. I'm not sure. Yes, to both. Do we want to talk about the controversy I don't know a ton about the controversy. Maybe it's better uh, for the end because I think it has to do with what the first episode kind of sets us up for. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. This episode is called The Power of Grayskull, which we will find out more about the power of Grayskull. And actually, I don't know. It'll be interesting to consider, you know, what is canon in the Eternian universe because this first episode actually answers a lot of questions that we have had over the course of the previous series. Yeah. But anyway, the power of Grayskull opens in space. So great callback. Already feeling very comfortable with uh, continuity here. Yeah, it's great. Uh, you get a little view of the planet Eternia with some great overdubbed monologuing. Yeah, there's two rings, kind of like Saturn, that cross in the center Reminiscent, actually, of He-Man's chess piece. And then two moons that float nearby. And if I were really reaching, I would say reminiscent of He-Man's mighty biceps. Is that a reach, though? Everything's reminiscent of his mighty biceps. <laughs> so off the bat, we get this voiceover that answers the very <laughs> fundamental question that we've had for a long time. It says, in the center of the universe, planet Eternia rests. Back dab. Which I thought was like a black hole or something, but... Well, the center of the universe is probably empty space, right? And the center of the galaxy is the oh, black hole. yes, thank you. Although, I guess, presumably, there is at the center of the universe something. Eternia. There's Eternia there. It sits. So, the Big Bang occurred, and the first thing out of all of the swirling space dust or whatever that material was... First planet that formed, Eternia, right there in the center. And the Big Bang saw that it was good. I mean, that's pretty like high and mighty of them. I guess at the center of the universe, you think it's Turner Phrase or they're the literal scientific center point of the universe. I don't think that we have any information that would cause us not to take the voiceover at its literal word, I guess. I mean, we've been doing that for 15 <laughs> or 16 episodes now, right? Or however many this is. Yeah. So the voiceover continues, it explains kind of the setup of He-Man, similar to the opening credits of the original series, we are led to understand that there are forces of evil centered around Snake Mountain, this power clash over the secrets of Eternia, there's only four people that know He-Man, Prince Adam's secret, blah, blah, blah. The great thing, though, are the extremely 80s fantasy novel illustrations. Yeah, it looks like it comes straight out of a comic book 
and not like that's not even like waxing poetic it's like literally a picture <laughs> from a comic book or like it looks like the what it would be on like the box of a toy like the the mural they'd put on the back of it or whatever there's a shot of prince adam and cringer in the background and cringer's face looks like squished and disfigured almost <laughs> as if uh extremely low paid graphic artist you know was asked to create this for some toy we get a second revelation as part of the voiceover he lays it out that whoever controls the secret of secret power of Grayskull, on the exact wording, will be the masters of the universe. Who are the masters of the universe? It's not specifically the sorceress or He-Man or everybody except for Ram-Man. It is whoever controls the castle, which still could be anybody except for Ram-Man. Except for Ram-Man. The voiceover ends and we get a mysterious cloaked figure next to a robotic horse who's leading a couple of prisoners, it looks like, toward Grayskull. Starts off, and it doesn't stop being this, but it's so much more narratively driven than a regular He-Man show. The episode actually makes sense. And it's actually much more storyboarded. So, like, this is... uh, It starts the thread with this mysterious figure. It's a different experience watching it and taking notes to produce this podcast because... With He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, there's a lot of goofy action. There are the plot points, and you know there's some visual gags and stuff to pay attention to. But for the most part, you can just let the episode play and scribble pretty quick and pause occasionally to like catch up, or at least that's how my note recording goes. This one is so dense because it is an actual show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is the best way to put it. This is actually a show. It is actually written. It isn't just hodgepodge. There's a there's a story that's happening and it's unfolding. We get some fireworks over Castle Eternia. Cringer is hiding underneath a table and the collection of royalty sort of looks on amidst a bunch of background figures also. So this Eternia is much more populated, I think, than we've seen the uh, the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe Eternia. Uh, the bunch of uh, animal people or people wearing fursuits, but I'm pretty sure they're just animal people. Uh, yeah, it could be a mix of both. So yeah, there's like dog people. I think I saw some other mammal people. They're like bipedal, have animal heads. How would you describe the art style of Masters of the Universe? Modern animation. <laughs> As I, I mean, it looks like any other action cartoon that's out nowadays. So like it, it's it's stylized. No, I mean, it's pretty standard, honestly. Yeah, it looks like, I mean, any other, even Netflix animation, like Castlevania, feels very familiar. Cringer's a little more feline than he was, less cartoony, less like a Looney Tune. Orko is more, he's got, like, different eyes. He actually has, like, irises and stuff. He doesn't look like a a black mage from Final Fantasy as much. He's got, like, these weird claw fingernails. A lot more detail, definitely, in general. I don't dislike it. I like it. Yeah. Tila is at the fireworks show and expresses some appreciation for being treated as a member of the royal family. So not only has she grown up in the court, uh, she expresses to the king and queen that she has really appreciated being made to feel as if she were part of the family. 
Do you think that's because they share food with her, unlike with the rest of Eternia? Yeah, probably. It's like she would be starving out in the street if they hadn't like provided for her. <laughs> but she's getting uh, knighted, so it's like a ceremony for her. This is the second thread that starts up. It's a celebration for Tila being named a man at arms, which we find out is the title, not just like Duncan's thing. In the original show, it's almost as if Duncan's like, ah, Duncan is, I mean, it's a fine name, I guess, but no, I want a nickname. I want people to call me Man-at-Arms. I mean, it's not worse than anything else in the show, but he has more, more creativity than Lizard-Man or Beast-Man, Ram-Man. <laughs> or Merman or Manny-Faces. Manny-Faces. I guess he's Man-at-Arms, too, though. Yeah, which Orko pops into being at this point and makes a pun as Duncan is expressing his pride in Tila's growth. Orko says that Duncan must be a man of many emotions. Um, nice try, Orko. This is a good effort. <laughs> the question that I have for Kevin Smith and you know the writers of the show is, how hard was it to come up with such a bad homage pun? Right. They're doing like good work, like characterizing him like is similar to the and really everybody feels pretty similar to like their original characters as far as like the writing's concerned. The voice acting feels a little off, but you kind of get over it. But he it was definitely a terrible original Orco pun that he would have made. Yep. They had to have workshop that. We cut over to outside of Castle Grayskull. Back over to the mysterious cloaked figure. Who could it be? Who could this hulking mass of a person be? As they reveal that it's He-Man. It's He-Man. The sorceress in hawk form swoops around and for no reason swoops around and then transforms into sorceress human form. I guess just to show, oh yeah, this is the sorceress. Do you remember how in the original series she was a bird sometimes? And then we're met with a shocking revelation I guess number three, just that Skeletor also has the power to transform into other shapes, but his special version is that he does not have to take on the color palette. He doesn't have to keep the color palette in his transformed form. I guess it's the difference between like an illusion and like a true polymorph. Uh, He-Man presents these two, it looks like two run-of-the-mill Skeletor cohorts, and one of them like approaches taking off his bonds and reveals himself to be Skeletor. And then another great nod to the original series as Skeletor is sort of waxing evil. Uh, he's immediately just blasted in the face and sent flying. I like Mark Hamill as Skeletor so far. I was going to say, you know, the elephant in the room for me is that he's a great voice actor. There's, there's no question about that, but is he better than the original Skeletor voice? No, he is not. <laughs> <laughs> it's just different. I mean, I just can't stop. I keep hearing the Joker because Mark Hamill does a great Joker. They capture, I mean, with Skeletor getting immediately blasted in the face by the sorceress, they capture some of the cartoon villainy of the original series. But the voice in the original is just so, it's so perfect. It is. We cut back over to the firework party where Orko is trying to cast a spell to protect Cringer. Yeah, Cringer's scared of a bunch of sounds because he's Cringer doing Cringer things. So 
Orko in a traditional homage to the Orko of old traps him in a bubble that Queen Marlena points out that doesn't have any air in it either. So Cringer is suffocating, which kind of amps up the bumbling but kind-hearted Orko prank magic to literal death kind of situation. This is very harmful potential side effects here. The hijinks continue as Orko, like panicking, tries to pop the bubble, instead shrinks the bubble down. He shrinks the bubble down and uh, it just is crushes down Cringer. And did you note the turn of phrase that Orko uses at this point? Orko is freaking out as Cringer is suffocating to death and says, does anybody have the power to help me pop this bubble? Yeah. (laughs) And Prince Adam walks in from out of screen, out of shot, and pops it with a little pin and says, I have the power. I have the power. Ah, I see what you did there. (laughs) There was another one earlier when Cringer is hiding underneath the tablecloth. Duncan goes over to talk to him, and Duncan says, these fireworks are nothing, uh, and this is coming from someone who's seen an actual battle, Cat. Yeah. Oh, that's who that is. I didn't know before. So if Adam is at the fireworks show, then who is standing just behind the sorceress? Oh, no. It turns out that that was a fake, too. It's not He-Man. It's somebody else. Yeah, He-Man grabs the sorceress from behind... Uh, we cut back over. So this is something else that I noticed from the original series. They do a lot of intercutting between storylines. We got two threads going back and forth, and they're like, you know, two pretty decent threads. And then they like kind of hitch up here where you find out that Prince Adam's not actually at Castle Grayskull. They also do this whole thing as they're cutting back and forth where there's a few instances of this, but I only remember the one. He-Man over at Castle Grayskull goes and surprise grabs the sorceress from behind to restrain her. And then they do a cut back over to the fireworks party and it's Prince Adam hugging Tila. Mm. So they do this like shared action interplay back and forth a few times. This show actually has writing. (laughs) (laughs) So Adam is hugging Tila. She's excited to be recognized as man-at-arms. To her, it's kind of the recognition of the work that she's been doing leading the castle guard and uh, as we know from the original series being the only one to contribute positively toward the future of the kingdom and she basically says that yeah like it's finally i know everything there is to know about everything basically i think is the actual quote i mean she is the most capable woman on eternia but this seems like pride going before the fall here or something adam needles her a little bit Adam says, oh, but you don't know his identity. What a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, first of all, it makes no sense that at this point that Tila doesn't know, right? At s- some point in their adventures, she should have proven herself, you know, capable of holding this knowledge, of trustworthy of this knowledge, and she's worthy of that knowledge. She's also the sorcerer's freaking daughter, but she doesn't get to know that either. Yeah. Why does Tila not get to know anything? I wonder if maybe she was just moments away from learning. Like, did Duncan know He-Man's identity before he became Man-at-Arms? Or is that the, like, level, you know, that you get let in on the secret? It could be. The king doesn't know, though. 
And the queen is not supposed to know, but... That's later in the episode, but she knows. Somehow. A mother always knows, I guess. Yeah, that's true. When her son can secretly transform into a superhero. So we cut back over to the sorceress and He-Man giving her a thorough hug from behind. He is actually a robot. Skeletor says something about like it actually being a faker or something. It, the way he said it made it sound like it was the thing's name. I think it did have a capital F in the subtitles. It sounded like it had a capital F too. Which is, I guess, a villain that maybe we'll get introduced to somewhere in the remaining 109 episodes of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe original series. Oh, boy. The sorceress blasts off Faker's arms, but he grows little robo-tentacles and grabs them uh, and, like, reattaches them to himself. So this is when uh, Skeletor does some monologuing about what he's really after, and he finally found out what's actually in the castle. It is, and... Also, when Eva Lynn reveals herself. Because mm, she was also in disguise. Everybody's in disguise there. Which, like, it is an appropriately convoluted plan, right? Yes. <laughs> so Skeletor and Eva Lynn, in disguise as other henchmen, are led to Castle Grayskull by uh, whatever faker dude in disguise. I guess they just had to get close enough to, like, trick the sorceress to open up the gate. I mean, obviously, whatever their plan is, it's successful, but like... Yeah, which also, He-Man is riding a robot horse, which is a thing, we know, actually, from last episode. But Battle Cat is not there, and the sorceress doesn't have any, hey, uh, He-Man, where's Battle Cat? And she mentions that, like, it's Tila's big day, so she should know that Prince Adam probably isn't there. Also, do they take prisoners to Castle Grayskull? Is this a thing they've done before? Why would they keep prisoners there? Yeah, you would think it would be in the dungeons of Castle Eternia. You wouldn't want any sort of henchmen anywhere near the secrets of the castle. As Evelyn transforms, her illusion has uh, big claw hands. Oh, yeah. This is my pun of the week. Uh, why don't you go ahead and deliver it, then? So... She reveals herself something like, I, I'm sorry, I'm not clawful, but I am awful. <laughs> it shows some magic zaps at the sorceress. The zaps are tacked up too. They're definitely, uh, you know, new millennium zaps as opposed to 80s zaps now. But yeah, that pun, non-pun. Yeah. I think clawful is what that guy's actual name is. It's the only way it makes any amount of sense. Lena Hetty, Hetty, however you say her name, goes through eight seasons of just incredible acting for Game of Thrones. And this is the line that she has to deliver as her introduction in Masters of the Universe. Wait, that's Lena Hetty? Yeah, Cersei from Game of Thrones. Wow. <laughs> I mean, they have like a star-studded cast. Like there's a lot of big names in this. I guess I, I guess I get it, but I like her accent's so weird in the voice acting. Weird in what way? Well, the old old Evelyn had like this Boris and Natasha kind of like talk to it. She sounded a little bit like Natasha from Rocky Bullwinkle. Mm -hmm. And this new Evelyn seemed more like English, drawn out. I don't know. It's hard to put a finger on. She doesn't have a lot of lines in this episode, so I couldn't really do it. 
I'm sure we'll see more of Evil Lynn in the in the coming episodes. So with Evil Lynn's just perfect opening line delivered, Skeletor takes the floor and has a monologue about Castle Grayskull. Yeah, it turns out he finally figured it out after all these years what the actual secrets of the castle are and that that's what he's actually after. Which he's still pretty vague about at this point. Castle Grayskull is a shell that's surrounding the true hidden power, the secrets of the castle. But all of Snake Mountain has turned up to help Skeletor take the secrets. Yeah, there's a literal army of mm, skeleton jackalhead. I don't know. They're, they're, I don't think we've seen this specific army dude before. They look like Skeletors, but instead of a human skull for a head, they have like a deer head skull for a head. Kind of like the skull that's on his staff. Yeah, kind of like that, actually. And like Beastman and some other henchmen's on flying machines. Yeah, it's like quick visual cameos of everybody here and in some of the coming battle scenes. There's Beastman, Manny Faces, Triclops. Triclops with his Epsilon vision. There's all the like flying robots that Skeletor uses. The Sorceress powers up some diamond turrets at the top of Castle Grayskull and they just start lasering people like in half. We cut back over to the throne room where they are getting ready to do the actual knighting ceremony. Man-at-Arms Senior Duncan, I guess, <laughs> is expressing his pride and admiration of the work that Tila has done. Uh, then Randor slips in a snide, ah, oh, fatherly pride. If only I could feel that someday. <laughs> so good. If you were coming fresh into masters of the universe without any of the historical context which is probably a lot of people like sure there's a lot of people this the audience for masters of the universe is a lot of the people who watched he-man and she-ra and all of those things coming up but it's also a bunch of people that are just like on netflix you know watching Mm -hmm. a new cartoon they would think that randor is just a huge dick oh yeah this whole episode he's a dick just non-stop but tila is finally knighted Concurrent with her knighting, the sorceress gets a message out to Prince Adam, like, hey, I'm in trouble. And Adam notifies Duncan, who immediately, without context, is like, all right, Tila, you're a man at arms. Now let's get all the guards and the sorceress is in trouble. No one talks to the king or at all, or he just like says, all right, Castle Grace Gold's in trouble, everybody. Let's go. Which no one questions either. Hey, did you get a message on your communicator? No, I just checked the time. You know, it's uh, 8 o'clock, which is about the time, you know, Skeletor's waking up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with the amount of times that it's kind of played out like this, I'm sure they're just like, all right, yeah, he knows what's going on. The king uh, tells everybody to go into their safe rooms or whatever. They have uh, some sort of bunker to get everybody in because Skeletor, which, like, makes sense that they yeah. have, like, a special Skeletor <laughs> bunker. Like, oh, Skeletor's showing up, everybody in the giant safe room. Uh, proceed to your nearest, you know, uh, Skeletor shelter. It's got posters on the wall, like outline of Skeletor's body and a red like circle and X. Yeah. If you see something, say something <laughs> big skull face next to it. Yeah. <laughs> he tells Adam to like help get people out of the throne room, whatever. So Adam is over by the door shepherding people through 
and Queen Marlena, who's one of the last to go through, you get this half-profile shot of her face. Adam is in the far background over by the door, and Queen Marlena mutters to herself, Be careful, Adam. So she knows. And I wonder if there's an episode amongst the many, the multitude that we have not watched yet, where she gets the re- like revealed to her that He-Man is Prince Adam. Because so far, everything's been like, okay, just another day at Eternia. Like, it's felt like we didn't lose much by skipping all of the 80s ones. But that one's like, I missed something there, you know? So Orca goes to help reinforce the sorceress power. The sorceress at this point, so she and Skeletor have kind of been fighting. The sorceress encased herself in like a big cylinder of shiny power. So she's hiding behind this shield while calling for help. Orko is coming now to reinforce her power. And we get at least what I've been waiting for, which is the Prince Adam He-Man transformation. It is so much of a like Sailor Moon anime girl magic transformation. It like is complete with like speeding cameras, naked butts just above it. Like, (laughs) Like the clothes like show up and like wrap themselves around him. There's like lightning everywhere. Okay, so I'm watching Masters of the Universe uh, Revelation. I am, uh, my face is serious. I'm like scribbling notes furiously. Carrie walks by the office and just laughs at the ridiculous juxtaposition (laughs) of like the Masters of the Universe music, you know, playing in the background and me like I'm studying for an exam or something. Mm -hmm. And it happens to be this transformation scene. Oh, this is the perfect scene for her to walk by on. And Carrie's exact comment was, look at that gratuitous butt shot with the little (laughs) floof of his animal fur. This is exactly like Sailor Moon. Oh my God, it is. (laughs) It's a magic girl transformation. So Carrie, if you ever get all the way to this episode 16 of attorney or review know that you and ben are on the same page oh yeah and that you've been given your props so he-man's body is glowing all colors his clothes are appearing they do deepen his voice a little bit and the other thing that i noticed is that in the original transformation i mean he doesn't really do anything in the original transformation he like holds the sword out in front of him in two hands one on the hilt and one just like on the blade uh like it's a big stick and yells i have the power and then there's a bunch of flashy lights and and he transforms into human this one in addition to uh yeah the anime magical girl cinematography um really highlights that prince adam is like a stick bony stick person with no physique and he-man is you know the buff muscular uh he-man that we know and love yeah and the old cartoon he-Man and Adam were basically palette swapped you know they're both huge hulking dudes and in this one Adam is like scrawny like he's actually a twig dude so in this one it is marginally more believable that people would not immediately just put two and two together and say Clark Kent and Superman you mean the same guy who wears glasses sometimes they do the thing too where Cringer tries to leap away but He-Man points his sword and zaps him with a magic transformation power. He turns into Battle Cat. And they leap off across the roof of the castle toward Grayskull. 
Which, when they have flying vehicles, I feel like a riding cat is not the quickest way to get around. <laughs> I don't know if we are ever told how far apart Castle Grayskull and Palace Eternia are from one another. Well, they managed to muster an army, get to all of the flying equipment, get the army all the way over to Castle Grayskull to help out the sorceress, and then He-Man shows up, like a little bit after that. We cut back over to the battle. There are some action shots of a bunch of cameo characters. Manny Faces is flying toward Grayskull, but here he's interrupted by the arrival of the Eternian Guard. Everybody starts fighting everybody. Some pretty sweet action scenes, like Man-at-Arms, Duncan Man-at-Arms, Duncan at Arms, Duncan at Arms, he jumps on one of the speeders with one of the henchmen's on it, manages to get some of the henchmen's off and like crashes it into another one. And as it explodes, he like slides on the ground, like starts running towards the castle. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. And all of the character action looks natural. Yeah, it's actually animated. He-Man shows up just in the nick of time. Beast-Man, for some reason, is in a vehicle that, uh, I don't, I don't know. The vehicle has, like, a long stick that comes out the front, and at the end of a stick is just a huge rock, and Beast-Man in the vehicle has, like, you know, levered up the big stick with the rock and is just gonna, like, crush Duncan with it. Seems very unwieldy of a weapon. <laughs> it's almost like Beastman and the other uh, evil hench folks are sitting around and they're like, okay, you know how He-Man always manages to defeat us? Like 50% of the time, it's boulders. But what is it about the boulders? All right, I've got an idea. We're going to take a boulder. Somebody get out a drawing board. <laughs> Put it on a big stick. And then we'll just smack people with it. Put it at the end of a vehicle. It could be a batting ram, right? Or typically a battering ram. And then it also has up downwards. So in case man at arm shows up and you can squash him real quick. <laughs> Look, there's still the attack track. So it's not the dumbest vehicle that we've ever seen. Yeah, it's a very low bar to get under. We cut back over to the sorceress who is still encased in the cylinder shield. And the robot is uh, just kind of pounding over and over again, trying to break through the like Zardon energy uh, bubble. But Duncan shows up and just cuts him in half. He got choked pretty easily. Like he managed to, I mean, I guess the sorceress had to like backpedal because she was being assaulted by an army. But Duncan at arms just literally just laser slices him in half. And then we do one of these little trade scenes where... Duncan slices the robot in half. Evelyn blasts Duncan. Orko blocks Evelyn. Orko just like teleports himself there, shoops and like does some magic hand stuff and just like gets rid of the blast. It was maybe the most impressive thing that I've ever seen Orko do. And then Tila knocks Evelyn out, but a big purple horse attacks Tila, and then Duncan takes care of the purple horse, which. Uh, is that supposed to be a replacement for the panther? Man-at-Arms tells Tila to go downstairs and that he'll take care of the nightmare. Yeah. That's what it is. And it is a very fluid action scene, kind of handing off character to character, giving everyone a little shot, a little bit of action, uh, while keeping everything moving. It's it's well done. It's actually written. 
Ah, uh, so that horse is not actually named Nightmare. His name is Night Stalker, the robot purple horse. But it is a play on words. Is it still a robot when it's purple? Because I think in the very first shot of the episode, it's just sort of like gray robot colored. You might be right. Anyway, they're just throwing around illusions everywhere. Oh, wait. There are characters that we haven't met yet in the other one. So there's a palette swapped version of the Nightmare, the, the Night Stalker, that is like a He-Man friend that we haven't seen yet in the original series yeah named stridor yeah so it's disguised as that in the beginning anyways yeah so tila goes down earlier when skeletor was monologuing he pounded his skeletor staff into the ground of castle grayskull and it caused the floor to kind of open up and reveal at the time you just see some stairs going down and like some translucent glass and some greenery so this is where Skeletor has since gone, and as Duncan tells Tila to go after Skeletor, this is uh, where Ske- where Tila also heads down. And it turns out to be like a very lush garden situation underneath the castle. When Tila showed up to help out, the sorceress had like this look on her face. I didn't note that, no. Yeah, she like had a little smile or, I don't know, relief, if that's the right word. I'm going to give this show a lot more credit than I give the original one that they intended that to because it is actually written. Uh, there's a moment, you mean because the sorceress is secretly... Tila's mom, yeah. There's a moment a little later that confirms that as well. But yeah, in the meantime, Tila finds Skeletor down at the bottom of the castle, down in the garden. Skeletor is about to turn around and blast her when true He-Man finally shows up. This is the heart of the castle where the Council of Elders have buried the secrets of Castle Grayskull. Elders again. So the Council of Elders, which we don't really learn too much in this episode else about the Elders, I guess, other than that they're what the power is here or not even what it is, but that it's there. Yeah. I guess we do learn what it is. Yeah, they're they're doling out information little by little and intercutting it with some pretty sweet action. So Skeletor shoots a fireball at He-Man that is the shaped like the screaming head of a goblin or something. Pretty sweet. He makes this little, like, he makes a big portal and a little portal, and then he pushes his arm through the little portal, and it comes out the big portal as a giant fist, and He-Man, like, locks fists with it, and it was so cool. Which also shows that Skeletor in this universe has come to understand the continuum of power in Eternia as well, where muscles trump all other forms of attack. Uh, He-Man and Skeletor do an incredibly lopsided fist bump. Even though Skeletor's fist is like massive, He-Man's mighty fist punches it and breaks his knuckles. Skeletor pulls his hand back through the portals and does the very cartoonish, like, shake your hand off after you've, you know, hit something hard or whatever. So Skeletor reverts to maybe his most familiar mode of attack and zaps He-Man, which knocks his sword away. And then out of nowhere, Moss Man. Uh, Moss Man is a dude. He's a guy made of moss. I got the impression that he was one of the elders, but I don't even know. He's just this giant moss man guy. He's exactly what he sounds like. He's a man made of moss. 
tells Skeletor he doesn't belong there and he has to leave and never come back. And then Skeletor just torches him and burns him to the ground. Yes, very quick appearance by Mossman, who I think you're probably right is either an elder or is a guardian of the little garden that they're in. It didn't really seem like He-Man or Tila knew Mossman. I mean, they were a little sad when he got torched, but... Well, I mean, it sort of drove He-Man into a bit of a rage, I'd say. Yeah, I was wondering if that was just the general loss of life that He-Man seems to abhor, but you might be right. Yeah, he flies into a rage and actually, like, you know, batters Skeletor back and then runs him through with his sword, which is the most actual violent thing that, well, we have seen. I remember reading a comment that I think originally He-Man was supposed to have an axe, but they felt that it was too... The axe was like inherently more violent than a valiant sword. And so they switched it out because it was at a time... He-Man came out at a time when there was not a lot of, you know, cartoon violence or violence on TV in general. And so they were skirting this this really weird line between trying to excite kids into buying swords to like smash into each other versus keeping parents happy enough that they would actually spend the money to buy the toys. That makes sense. It's like as a weapon, an axe is inherently more brutal, whereas you can because you only use it to swing and hack stuff up. Or like a sword you can use defensively, more or less. Like a baseball bat and what, like whacking away zaps and things. Which you could do with an axe. But anyways, but an axe in real life has more to it than just a weapon, right? You can use it as a tool to chop down wood and do other things. It does. It's It does feel something more primal, I guess, to me. There is like some more primal violence in an axe. Whereas the sword is a gentleman's weapon. And... The axe is a heavy burden to bear. Yeah, as soon as you stop uh, hating it, that's when you need to get rid of it. Uh, some Wheel of Time references for all you at home. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that land, you know, duty is heavier than a mountain. Death is light as a feather. Have you seen He-Man and his ability to carry mountains? <laughs> so, Skeletor, you spoke about convoluted plans earlier. This is even more, yeah, this is this is... Even more so. And it actually works somehow. Yeah, because Skeletor tricked He-Man into getting into a rage. This is all his plan. And, I mean, maybe it was not exactly like this. Maybe he was just winging it and it just worked out this way. He-Man runs Skeletor through. Skeletor says some pithy villainy thing like, You finally used that sword for something you were supposed to, boy. <laughs> That's my Mark Hamill Skeletor voice. And then, like, grabs the sword and shoves it farther through himself. And it's like, as a key to open up the <laughs> secrets of Castle Grayskull. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I know that we just launched Attorney a review in the last six months, but how could they not have called you for Skeletor voice? Any version of Skeletor. I got it. <laughs> this one's a little more ham-fisted, and, you know, but whatever. Yeah, they do. The, they could do the thing, like, the animated Spider-Man movie that came out in the last year where there's all the different versions of Spider-Man. Yeah, into the Skeleverse. Yeah, into the Skeleverse. <laughs> and you could just do all the voices. They, yeah. They'd save so much money on voice actors. Uh, all right, yeah, Mattel, Netflix, you know where to find me. Um, <laughs> not too busy. I have long weekends. Hello at attorneyreview.com. 
<laughs> so yeah, this is somehow Skeletor's plot because now that He-Man has actually stabbed Skeletor, it happens to be right into the hole that's in this like massive pyramid structure that's kind of in the middle of the garden. There is a sword-shaped keyhole that was just right at the perfect height for, you know, being uh, stabbed through the gut into. Uh, exactly where Skeletor knew that He-Man would aim to go exactly horizontally through to fit exactly into the keyhole that is exactly the shape of the sword. The pyramid starts to open and a glowing orb floats out from the center. And this is the real power of Castle Grayskull. Which is literally the secrets. This is it. It's like the concentrated knowledge of the elders in orb form. It says it right on the tin. The secrets are the secrets. I mean, it's, it's a little more than that, right? Like it's the sum of all knowledge of the whatever the elders, but it is like the conduit the source of all magic on Eternia or something like that's where all the magic in Eternia starts is from there. It's very abstract. That's the knowledge that does that though. It still doesn't say anything about what the secrets or the knowledge are more of what it does. I guess it's like the properties of the sacred knowledge, the secrets they're shaped like an orb. They cause all the magic to be in existence. And if you smash them, the world blows up. So Skeletor smashes it, by the way. <laughs> and this part, I I don't understand at all. Skeletor, does he not know that if you smash the secrets, it's going to like cause the universe to unravel? I mean, all he wants is the power. Like He's just trying to seize it, right? So you think he's... Yeah, he's just, just short-sighted enough that he thinks he can like manage the power. It's that or... Actually, I think we've talked about this before. Skeletor has been alive for a long time, and one way or another, it does not seem like he can die. It's true. And so, you know, maybe the whole Skeletor's whole deal is that he just wants to get some rest. Finally get his eternal slumber he's been trying to get to. Yeah. But the sorceress has stepped in and has frozen time. Everything's frozen except for Tila and He-Man. Yeah, Skeletor there frozen with his little mace shattering the orb of secret knowledge or whatever. And then there's just the with sorceress there. I have stopped time. <laughs> but time is more powerful than magic, so you don't have very long. Yeah. For reasons. Which makes sense. That's a good internal rule, I guess, that time is more powerful than magic. The sorceress also says, oh, Tila, I'm glad you're here so that I could see you. One, One last time. time. Uh, and Tila like, looks at her. Yeah. <laughs> what? She's like, what? what? Who are you? <laughs> so, yeah, definitely, especially paired with the look that you mentioned earlier, definitely a callback to uh, the Tila parentage episode. So time is stopped. He-Man has a brilliant idea, which is that if he summons the power of Grayskull, while well, he is already in this form, that it will siphon it away from the exploding knowledge orb and cause the universe to not unravel. Tila says, what in this form? What does that mean? Yeah. Does he think that his magical girl transformation will just like suck all the light from the orb into his like little swirlies or something? 
Yeah, and then he'll get extra swirly and maybe be a little bit dizzy, but otherwise be okay. Yeah, I'm sure. The sorcerer says, in order to call all of the power, you will have to wield the sword. And then I think Tila jumps in with, and that much power can overwhelm anybody, even you, He-Man, telegraphing that this is going to be like a final sacrifice kind of situation. Which it ends up being. He calls out the incantation again by the power of Grayskull. The power rushes from the orb into his body, and his sword like splits into two swords. Yeah, it's like so. Yeah, it's in half. It's got like two half swords in each hand, or one half sword in each hand. And they look pretty sick. Oh yeah, they look cool. Oh yeah, so this is like so as part of this transformation. Also, he turns back into skinny Prince Adam form. And Tila again is like, what? So normally in the beginning of Dragon Ball Z, uh, you can only achieve Super Saiyan yellow hair pinnacle fighter form for a brief period of time. And only after just a lot of yelling and like 13 episodes and a lot of commercials. But eventually when they run out of ideas, they just let them be Super Saiyan all the time. So people are just like hanging out with, with yellow hair. And so maybe... Prince Adam has achieved, you know, final form. He's the ultimate form of super He-Man Adam. Without needing to, you know, sustain all of the muscle mass. Which if you think about Prince Adam and the thing that he likes to do the most, which is nothing, having to eat just by itself to maintain the muscle mass that He-Man carries around might be more than Prince Adam is willing to put up with. I mean, if he's smoking weed in the garden, he's got to have the munchies, right? He's got to burn those calories somewhere. But then he has to like make sure there's like, extra protein in them and it's like a good keto snacks, not just like, you know, whatever that passes for Fritos back in Eternia. Yeah, is Prince Adam watching his macros? Gotta be. So Prince Adam is wielding the two swords. Everybody's doing a double take. I think she actually sees Battle Cat transform back into Cringer first. And you get kind of the eyebrow raise. And then she looks over and sees Prince Adam holding two swords. Skeletor has a line in here as well. All of that power in such a young boy or something. Yeah, that should be mine. Lightning is falling from the sky. And then as quickly as a summer rain. Now it's waxing poetic. <laughs> it's always He-Man. <laughs> Adam and Skeletor have disappeared. Yep, they're gone. Skeletor's gone. Adam's gone. As Cringer's gone too, right? And Tila's just left there, befuddled. Evelyn swoops in and takes the remnants of Skeletor's goat skull stick. She looks really sad. She looks very upset. She does, yeah. There is actual demonstrated emotion. And we cut over to the throne room where Duncan is telling the king and queen that He-Man has finally succumbed succumbed that's i mean i got what he was saying but i feel like that's such an old 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 timey way of saying that do they even have the word for death in eternia yeah does anybody ever die they just suffer eternally yeah so maybe everybody's just mad that skeletor was prevented from succeeding how many fucking firework shows can we have in eternal lifetime well uh, the queen's like distraught she's like oh god he man's dead oh no Oh no, she's very sad. The king is like, that's really sad. 
we've lost the great man this day or something. And then the queen's like, that's our son. Yeah. Randor is pretty cold about it. I mean, oh, it's a sad day for Eternia. At least he went out in a glorious blaze. Not a lot of emotion. Then he gets like super pissed. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Queen Marlena, oh, that was our son. Randor does a double take. What? Prince Adam's safe over here somewhere. No. And then uh, as Duncan at Arms tries to explain why he would not have told the king that his son was He-Man, makes no sense. The king just straight up banishes him, strips him of title, just like, yeah, out. And threatens him with execution if he's ever seen again. Like full-on tirade. He tries to get Tila to take him out of my sight. And Tila's like, nah, I'm out. And then she goes on her own little tirade about how everybody's like, how could you not tell me? A well-deserved rant from Tila. For real. All the points we've said before, why doesn't she know? Why? 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 Yeah, she's especially pissed that she many times has put her life on the line uh, for these folks, has demonstrated her trustworthiness, all of that. Mm -hmm. So she quits. Yep. And she takes her golden tiara hat and throws it on the ground. Oracle tries to plead with her to stay, but uh, hair, wild, temper, wild. She storms out of the castle. Is that the best episode right there, right? The crowd is cheering outside of the castle that Skeletor has finally been defeated. But yeah, the last scene is her looking sort of lost among the crowd of uh, cheering attorneyans. That's right. The cheering attorneyans saying, hey, maybe now that Skeletor is gone, the king can focus on some social programs and get a safety net going. Yeah, maybe some sort of like universal sort of basic income or some health care, just basic health care. Can I just get some cough drops, please? <laughs> yeah, utilities, just any infrastructure. Mass transit. So there's no moral in this, but we're going to have a moral anyways. Did you think of one? I mean, the you know, the end of the episode, like lying is not cool. In today's episode, Tila found out that people had been lying to her about something for a long time now. And sometimes people would lie to you, and that's not okay. Uh, remember, kids, lying is not cool. Beautiful. I'll try harder next time. My, like, summary thoughts as I was wrapping up this episode of He-Man. How do you tell a compelling story about He-Man and the masters of the universe when, and this is some, this is a pretty common theme of our conversations in the original He-Man. You have these two characters who are pretty much in stasis, locked in eternal struggle, uh, no one ever gaining the upper hand Uh, Maybe purposefully, because then life would get just extremely boring. Skeletor and He-Man always kind of letting each other go, or in Skeletor's case, just always picking the dumbest of all possible plots so that He-Man can easily foil them. So how do you tell a story? How do you tell a compelling story in a world that's just marked by absolute stasis? You have to remove the stasis so that there can be some actual narrative. And since, as you've pointed out, this show is written and does have a plot, uh, it makes sense. You know, you have to remove He-Man. And if you remove He-Man, you have to remove Skeletor, because otherwise... Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's... that's. It's also 
like the Superman problem, right? Where Superman can literally solve any problem ever through one power or another. He is so powerful that it's just like he can do whatever. And to make a compelling story about Superman, usually it has to be not about Superman, about the people around him, or it's a story where his power is sort of meaningless in some sort of way. And it's usually for narrative reasons because the dude literally turned back time in a, in a movie. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. So you run into those same problems with both with He-Man and with Skeletor. And you're right that in a, to make a compelling story about this world, you basically just take away He-Man and Skeletor and the characters have room to breathe beyond that. Yeah. And they did because this is 2021 and uh, even cartoons have, somewhat realistic plot lines and uh, character motivation and all of that stuff in He-Man and the Masters of the Universe original series. If He-Man's identity, you know, were revealed in some episode, uh, it would be right near the end. And the next shot would be uh, somebody making a joke about, I don't know, now He-Man, Prince Adam can finally carry his weight around the castle. And then everyone's Mm -hmm. laughing. But here, people have the realistic reactions, which is anger, mostly. Yeah. Just righteous fury from Tila. <laughs> yeah. And just pain anger from the king, basically. Yeah, bordering on uh, petulance. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see Randor's character progression, assuming we get some more of it through the rest of these episodes. But... Based on his reaction, he is not... I mean, he lost a son and is mm-hmm. also being given some uh, pretty horrific news. I mean, both politically and personally, right? That's true. Now the that singer can come and just sing Eternia into submission or whatever. But he does act pretty tyrannical, right? He just, on his kingly power and just gut reaction, exiles the man that's protected him for, you know, decades. Which is a theme that I think we discovered in the original series as well. Tyranny, or at least not a very caring rule from the leader of Eternia. And I think that that makes us as smart and capable as Kevin Smith. There we go. (laughs) So is the controversy right there, right? The lack of He-Man? Yeah, and I haven't read very much about it, but I imagine it's also... How dare this cartoon feature a woman as the protagonist and not muscly ass muscle He-Man? I also I'm sure that it's also hyped up internet rage, so it's like a small, very vocal minority, you know. Because everything I've seen has been like an article from Kotaku, like Kevin Smith responds to He-Man critics, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. I haven't read any of them, but it's just like okay, all right, whatever. It. It seems like it's the same story that plays out where, uh, oh my God, they took out the butt shots from Mass Effect Remaster. This is a quick aside about the Mass Effect one is that in the original Mass Effect, there was a modder who, who made a mod to take out the ass shots, right? So in the, in the new Mass Effect where they took out the ass, ass shots, the same modder made a mod to put back in the ass shots. <laughs> It's like people should have a choice. It's one of those like you got to bring balance to the force kind of situations. Yeah, it's just such a bizarre thing of it. 
Anyways, you were saying. But it's it's all of these. It's, you know, Resident Evil, you can't look up the skirt of the young girl that you're actually supposed to be protecting. It's people are complaining that they made, oh, geez, the protagonist of Horizon Zero Dawn look less feminine in the sequel. Or Last of Us 2, just in general. Yeah, just all of it. Uh, and I know this is a, you know, brave stand for a exceptionally privileged white man to take, but uh, those opinions are fucking dumb. So brave, German. So brave. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty excited for... So there are five episodes in Masters of the Universe Revelations, which is apparently the first half of the season, so they're going to release the next five at some point in the future. But I'm pretty excited for these remaining four and then, you know, the rest of the arc. Me too, because they did a, honestly, I felt like a really good job. I mean, we've only watched, what, 16 episodes of the original series, but it felt like they took the source material as a foundation and went from there, you know? They didn't try to, like, redo it. They're just like, all right, here's how it is, and let's make it so it's moving somewhere. Because every single episode of the original series all ends in the status quo, and that status quo is the same every time. Skeletor is out there doing Skeletor things. Orko is making weird jokes and bad magic. Cringer's afraid of stuff. He-Man's being secretive. Tila doesn't know shit for no reason. And they go from there and they start it and push it in a direction. And mostly you can just tell that Kevin Smith was listening to our podcast about how often we brought up how capable Tila was and made her the focus of the show. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, Kevin Smith. You can make the checks out to the Eternity <laughs> Review. Yeah, we don't have a bank account yet, but you know, if you send us a check, then we'll get one so we can cash it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we got... Best worst joke. We got some Skeletor impressions. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, he didn't have any... He had just sort of normal villain lines. So I don't know if there was a best Skeletor line in this. Yeah, it's just typical Skeletor stuff. But he's still really a good hammy villain, right? Uh, and Mark Hamill's really good at doing villains. Like, he's excellent at it. Yep. He's hamming it up, and it's great. Yeah, still appropriate amount of show skeleton ship especially with the illusion reveals near the beginning of the episode and you know there's a 95 percent chance that he-man either shows up at the end of the first half of the season like as the hook to watch the second half or mm -hmm. in the latter half of the season if not sooner i haven't watched any of the other episodes but i, I could see him like leaving him out for most of it and bringing him back at like the very end of the last episode or having it be like they're going to the place to save He-Man at the end. Like I can see them not having He-Man in it at all. But he's got those two sick, sick swords and yeah. they're going to have to show him off again. Right. And there's, I think it'd be interesting because like what you said earlier about like taking those characters out of stasis, like can they take the characters themselves out of stasis and like have them change? So Skeletor, one of the last things that happened was actually the whole inciting action for the series is that Skeletor gets stabbed. He's still stabbed. He's still bleeding. Are they going to be teleported to some other dimension or something through the power? And then He-Man is going to nurse Skeletor back to health. <laughs> he had the realization that he's been fighting a youth this whole time. So that's got to be like undercutting his ego a little bit. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's all that I have. That's all I got. Well, send your vitriolic hate mail to 
hello at eterniareview.com for our good opinion of Masters of the Universe Revelations. Kids don't lie to your friends or else they will righteously and correctly storm off and tell you to fuck off. Even after you give yourself up and save the world. We'll see you next time on the Eternia Review.